0: Hi, welcome to Carbon Design's MindShift Podcast. I'm Scott Gellum, and I'll be your host today. We'll explore new ways of thinking, new technologies, and new insights to help drive business performance. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to MindShift. My guest today is Uzman Sheik from XIQ. Uzman, welcome.
1: Hi, Scott. Thank you very much for having me here today.
0: Nice to be you. Or not not to be you. It's good to have you. We've been working together for a year. Uh, big fans of XIQ. But for people listening in who don't know XIQ, can you talk a little bit about the company, the solution, and a uh, little bit about what you're doing for clients today?
1: Excellent. Thank you very much, Scott. So XIQ is an artificial intelligence powered B2B sales and marketing platform. Now that's a lot of jargon words in there to kind of describe what we do. Today, there's a lot of solutions. There's an abundance of solutions out there for sales and marketing. Um, Just on an average, even if you're running a simple account-based marketing transaction, you're using about 16 different platforms to do that. What XIQ does is it unifies the core capabilities and functions that are required to operate an end-to-end account-based marketing cycle. And I'm sure we're going to get a little bit more detailed into talking about that. Um, It allows us to not only provide that function, but it also adds AI smarts. So a couple of things that we do and we're going to talk about is the ability to uh, be able to predict how people make buying decisions. So use behavioral science and connecting that in analyzing public data. These are some of the things that XIQ, uh, we're a platform, we consider ourselves to be a next generation ABM platform that's using AI smarts to help decision making faster more quicker better more precise um, we connect the sales, selling and marketing cycle into one set of processes because that's really what's required to run an agile organization yeah and our focus is primarily on b2b uh, inter you know selling and
0: marketing Right, right. And you have a a long experience and history in technology and software sales. So can you talk a little bit about your background as well?
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. So uh, absolutely. So I've um, been working at SAP for a quite um, substantial period of my career. I had the great fortune of being able to work in sales enablement roles and market development roles. I developed their digital um, online channels, their equivalent of the B2B app store. So was had privilege of working with some of the best salespeople and marketing people, B2B sales and marketing people in the world. Um, and uh, <clears throat> as a result, uh, you know, the front line of being able to see how actual B2B selling and marketing works. And, and there's a lot of difference, Scott, uh, in between... Uh, what we see in our consumer world and how big businesses are actually positioning and selling themselves. So I I had that opportunity and I had the opportunity to go and work in a global capacity and, you know, it was an excellent experience there, a lot of great learning, a lot of which has been kind of, uh, uh, you know, enshrined, if you may, or kind of found the foundation of what XIQ is. Yeah,
0: yeah. So... Um, thank you for that background. Thank you for being with us today. You know, we've had conversations in the past and I, you know, with MindShift, what we try to do in these podcasts of really enlighten listeners to things that they may have not considered or unravel some problems that they've experienced and try to give some solutions to try to help people. And you and I have had this discussion earlier uh, and, you know, for the past year is I've been really interested in understanding why marketing performance has not improved, despite a lot of investment in the MarTech stack. We're still looking at single digit performance. And that means in a sense, 90% or plus of our efforts are failing in in B2B marketing. And that's something I've been on a quest to try to really get underneath the covers to understand why that is. And we've had some webcasts that talked about this. In this particular case, why I really wanted to speak with you today is to uncover or at least share some insights around how to improve the performance and what we're getting out of our ABM investments. These are big investments. They've been around for a period of time. There are a number of different technology platforms out there, a lot of them, right? Um, But yet sales productivity has not gone up. Still 50% of salespeople make their quotas. That means 50% fail. Some companies, it's it's higher than that. It's 80%. Last year was very difficult time. So I wanted to explore why these investments we're making in ABM aren't paying off. So I'd love to get your thoughts on just what you see out there, what your theories are around why these things aren't working and what you're doing to really try to help improve that performance.
1: Yeah, so excellent question. So when we set out to make XIQ, the fundamental question we went and asked B2B sellers was what is the core? Information, what is the core thing that drives your sales process? And very quickly it dawned on us it's all about people. People buy from people and people buy from people they trust. So a salesperson, and similarly a marketer, you ask about both sellers and marketers, they need to understand what are the dynamics of people. Most of the technologies that are there, including the term we use ABM, account-based marketing. They're about accounts. They're not looking at it about individuals. And one of the near misses we have is that sales and MarTech is too much focused around measuring how you put people through the funnel, how you close deals, and recording that and trying to measure the forecast and predictions of what what is being put into the pipeline versus really coming to the core topic of what is it that sellers and marketers really need. And that's people information. So a lot of the investment that's taken place in the tech stack is about managing the process. It's not about helping drive the process. And when you come down to it, it sounds kind of very simple and easy to understand that actually selling is about people, but um, we don't uh, sell to people we, we look at this technology stack you're showing this thing you know in terms of what if we today have yeah. to conduct a b2b transaction yeah you're going through seven different core capabilities right you've got to go and start prospecting you need to do develop content to engage you need to run marketing campaigns you need to manage the forecast and the pipeline Um, You need to do some marketing automation so things can work faster. Uh, Definitely data science playing a big role, and you need to have intelligence about the accounts. These are the main ingredients. And scattered, uh, you know, to run a full B2B cycle, you need to be able to go through all what you're seeing on the screen from left to right, right? And, And you've got to be able to perform those tasks. But yet, Scott, when we peel the layer of the onion and look underneath it, there are 8,400 and growing sales and marketing solutions out there.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: So to run that one cycle, you know, Gartner is predicting something like 16 different solutions are required to complete one B2B transaction. So why is sales performance not getting optimized, right? One, the focus has to get uniquely on individuals. How do we sell to individuals? Even buying groups, we know in B2B selling, it's a group of buyers that makes decisions, right? But again, at the end of the day, buyers are people, group of people. So you've got to hit the person part. And sellers are desperately looking for information and competitive things they can gain advantage in getting together with those people, those buyers, right? And so I think my... Two sense on this i think there's a there's a mismatch in terms of what the technology
0: does and what are the requirements of the day do you, do you think there's too much focus on volume and trying to cover as much ground as possible and push out as much things you know as many things as you can to audiences just to play a numbers game i mean if you're really thinking about strategic accounts the front part of that is strategy, right? So are we people skipping over the strategy part and just looking at volumes and consistency of throwing things out without really considering where it's landing?
1: Excellent question again. So yes, I think you're absolutely right. So, you know, there's a lot of appeal to that word strategy. You know, just first of all, if you think strategic account, first thing that goes to mind, comes to mind is this big money associated with it, right? That's right. and so the idea is that, you know, we can take, we as vendors bringing technology solutions can suddenly make all your accounts strategic. Yeah. So a few years back, we saw the emergence of the term account-based marketing, again, to break away from just B2B sales and marketing into that strategic section. And now where are we? Each one of those 8,400 solutions is an ABM solution. Yeah. So where, whereas we try to... so everybody's trying to gain the advantage or kind of project the advantage. So you're absolutely right. You know, strategic accounts are my top 20, 30, 10%, not 20, 30 accounts, but my 10% accounts, less than 10%, 5% accounts. That's where my focus is. And I surely should know what that epicenter is. You know, if, if as a CMO or a CRO, or an ABM director, I don't know where my epicenter is. I'm sleeping on my job. That's like my question number one, right? Where do I drop my solution, my assets, my value? I don't need to drop it in front of my ideal customer profile. My ideal customer profile is made up of these top five guys, yeah. top 4% yeah. guys, right? So we're, we're, we're um, and, and, you know, the appeal that, look, you can have these massive gains, at that top five percent level, then you can double, triple, quadruple sales have a bottom line impact that moves the buyer ten to thirty percent to forty percent in the case yeah. of ABM. It's very appealing, right? Yeah. But I think there are some core values that need to be still that are universal values of sales that need to be maintained. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll, I'll give you an example of what we've done recently to kind of illustrate this. So one of our clients, we asked them to give us a cut out of their lead nurturing program. And it was 104 customers or prospects rather. This prospect had opened more than 20 emails and clicked through on them over the course of a the year. They had hit the website more than 20 times. They had uh, consumed a lot of video content. So they're watching on those behaviors and when we assessed, we found three individuals all from the same company on that list. And we went back and said, is this an existing client? And they said it was a client in 2019. Now they had put a BDM or BDR in their their world on those three people covering them. When we profiled them using XIQ and then pulling them through and looking at them from a mobilizer standpoint, what we found was they all profiled as dominant and success oriented And when we drilled down on them and looked at their profiles on LinkedIn and, and then looked at their profiles online, they're all engineers. And so they're all using information for their own purposes. They were not advancing opportunity. They were using it to execute. They were not sharers. They were not going to. And what we came back to them and said is stop putting a person on them. They will not reactivate the account. Automate. The communication because they're just consuming your content. This is an organization that has thought-leading content. They love the content, but they're not going to engage in a sales process. And so we shifted the way that they were covering them from a lead nurturing standpoint. But as you would say, in EBM, they showed every indication of intent. They were hitting content like crazy. They were showing up for webinars. They're consumer consuming web events. They were never going to do anything with it they are using it for their own purposes and they were getting it for free. So they didn't have to engage. They didn't buy anything. So to your point, you have to drill down. You just can't have all this information that's coming in about how much content's being consumed and how many things are they clicking on without looking at the individual person and what motivates them. Bingo.
1: Absolutely correct. I mean, it's kind of funny in a way that today we have so much data points on what those individuals are doing that we're focused so much on those data points and we're forgetting that it's actually an individual that we're talking about, right? Exactly. That's exactly what you're saying. And then when you start looking, so it's kind of the most, you would think that the most obvious thing would be to start from the individual, but the overabundance of this engagement data that's coming back, it's kind of, again, shifting our focus to, very valuable data by the way I, I would not live without that data it's yes. super super important data it actually helps me get better equipped to engage with that person should that per- or even come up with the you know the strategy for your three engineers who are who are kind of using this content to look really good yeah. sound really excellent yeah. be thought leaders within their own company even yeah. there there's a motivation that you can start pulling on Absolutely. right yeah. and, and so but it's knowing it's knowing that, right? So we sometimes, again, like I said, you know, the 8,400 solutions, you're kind of all good for management, all good for providing point solutions. What's the end-to-end cycle like? Very few delivering that. Same yeah. way over here, a lot of data coming in. What's the stuff that really matters, right? It's the people at the yeah. end of the day.
0: And I, I will say, it's not enough to look at what. You have to understand the why. And that gets into the motivators and the behaviors, right? You can see and track what all day long, and that's great. You really have to get under the covers of why are they doing this? Why are they consuming so much of your content? Why are they not referring you? Why are they not advocating for your brand? It's that why question that oftentimes gets left out. So what are you seeing with your clients where people are doing this well? So I think they're
1: doing it. We have some great examples. So, where they're doing it extremely well is where they're um, running marketing campaigns to two areas, right? So, one, they're running your traditional, hey, I got a product launch, come come and check out who the product launch is, and then as a result of our analytics, very quickly being able to segment the engagement based on personality types or based on job titles. Or a combination of both, right? So, exactly to your point, where you see that, you know, what are the right motivations of the people and are they really able to take the decision, right? Yeah. Motivations, intent might be really good, but unable to make. So, they're very, so our clients have been able to use this tool for a number of reasons. First of all, to increase engagement. How do we do that? Number one way we do that is by a concept we call Getting in today's conversation today. We curate news that's relevant today, that's topical today, and we bring your marketing content and have you place it within that. The speed with which we can do that using our AI-based tools allows us or allows our clients to do it on a very regular, frequent basis. So it's not a six-week cycle, something you can turn out in 30 minutes. And by turning it out in 30 minutes, you can actually start affording to do it weekly. So what took six cycle times, six weeks to do, you can have six cycles of this. So that's number one. Love the data part. I think data is super, super important that engagement stats, like I said, I'm not downplaying it, but I'm saying it's not the only thing. It's it's a very important thing. It kind of helps me prioritize who I engage with or who our clients engage with. But then it's that next level that you said, right? How do you connect the dots? Personality plus job title, motivation, intent, specifically what they're interested in. Yeah. This is differential. This is where I think that XIQ is making that major quantum difference in ABM. That and the fact that we're bringing these two cycles of sales and
0: marketing also together. Yeah, super interesting. So just to take a step back for listeners who aren't familiar with AI personality profiling, talk about the personality type. You have a- a really interesting way of talking about it using Star Trek characters. I love it, but I think this makes it easy for people to understand different types of personalities that they may experience with buyers.
1: Actually, there's a nice slide if you wanted to project that. It's just a few slides down. Maybe not a bad idea. So that's exactly correct. You know, I like to cite this example of you know the, the crew of the original Starship Enterprise, and if you look at you know how who uh, Captain Kirk was. And uh, how, who, who Spock was. And I think these are kind of universally well known uh, characters, more so about their, because of their personalities, I think are really definitive. But these personalities also map, you know, this is the behavioral science that XIQ, for example, leverages. It maps back to a lot of research that's been done around, around how people make decisions. So if you think about Kirk for a second, right? It's Captain Kirk, right? Captain needs executive summaries. He needs reliable data. That's his context. That's his relevance, right? And he's going to make snap decisions and probably some very emotional, fairly unqualified decisions. Right. Nothing wrong. CEOs do that all the time. Right. Super successful, right? Spock is his quant. He does want him right there next to him, right? But Spock is not going to be impressed if you gave him the executive summary. To win Spock over, and Spock's a very important person because Spock's going to be able to give you a reliable decision. Spock is the guy who's looking at that data. That's the engagement stats, right? And Ahura and, and and maybe the doc doctor as well. They would put that human element. Sh- we should have the doctor in there as well, right? <laughs> and so yeah. they, they, they will put the human element, right? And so think about it. You know the ways Kirk makes decision. Kirk Spock. Ahura, Scotty, these individuals are in our lives every day. They're on our email, they're in our LinkedIn, they're in our sales cycle, they're in our demo cycles, right? And the way you communicate and convince Kirk is entirely different from the way you convince and impress Spock versus Ahura versus Scotty, right? So all of them have different content needs, all of them have different motivations. And most importantly, the way they ingest information is different. Like I said, Kirk, reliable executive summary. Spock, tons of data. Ahura, social setting, social you know, cycles. Scott, Scotty, reliable, convincing, right? So you cannot paint everybody with one brush. And Scott, this is where you are you know, kind of pushing the boundaries on this as well. But You know, you're realizing how beneficial this is, right? Mm -hmm. We can actually, and XIQ, what it does is we've got AI-based algorithms that are actually able to pick up digital signatures on people from the public domain and predict, with a degree of accuracy, how these individuals might, would they be falling closer to Kirk or Spock?
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you what's new since we last talked. We are now starting to use this thinking about these personalities as we start to map out accounts. And so for clients, we are mapping their buyers out in existing accounts. And these are, this is for growing accounts and looking at cross-selling inside accounts. And we're profiling their buyers by personality type. And then we're looking at the combination of those people and what they get done. And one of the things that we've seen is that dominance and influencers make a super powerful combination together. On their own, they have a tendency to let things drop. And here's the really interesting thing. If you believe Gartner or serious decision, whoever it is, it says there's 12 to 17 different people in the buying group. What you realize now that we're taking uh council part is you need that many people keep a sales opportunity moving because if you get hit early on with an influencer, they have a tendency to be surfing for a lot of information, right? They're looking at multiple different sources. And the worst case scenario, we showed this with a client who were in in their lead nurturing program. They got hit by a C level a couple of times with our content, but that nothing happened. There was no conversion, no follow-up. anything. And what we said is there's no dominant present that we've seen show up yet for that C level to take the information and hand it to someone who's going to go do something with it because they're sharers, right? These influencers like to find cool information. They like to share it with someone else. doesn't mean they're going to take it on. In this particular case, early in the sales cycle at a C level, they're not going to do anything with it unless they can combine it with the dominant. So we're showing these combinations in accounts now. That's a great combination. If you want to get something started, you got to find a dominant and you got to find an influencer together. And the influencer's typically going to be at the C level and dominance going to be more VP doer director level. That combination is great. The other thing we found is dominance and steadies are also very good combinations in trying to move work ahead. So if you want to get a project done and the owner of that project is a steady, find a dominant inside of the organization to team them up with, to move them ahead. And then the last thing that we found is for skeptics if you can find an internal advocate, oftentimes an influencer because they're very persuasive, combine them with moving the skeptic forward because the credibility of something internally coming versus externally helps move the skeptic faster. So if you can have an influencer that is really well-versed on your information and your solution and use them as an internal advocate for you, put them against the skeptic, they'll move the skeptic. So the personality and the motivations and the behaviors inside of accounts are incredibly important for understanding how do we move sales deals ahead? How do we sell projects inside of those accounts? And we're just scratching the surface of this. And I, I don't know how many people really have experimented with looking at XIQ as it, as it relates to how do we use the internal groups that we have identified in our accounts to sell new opportunity, to cross-sell. I think there's a really interesting opportunity for people to look at the combination of personality types. Absolutely.
1: So it's very interesting, you know, you bring this up because what we've been doing is we've been... Um, um, so looking in terms of cohorts, right, of, of individuals within within different groups. And first of all, the, um, the you know, the buying group made up of those different compositions, you know, the dominance, the conscientious and the studies and influencing, and then how to get the dynamics of, I think is actually super, super important. And something that, you know, companies that are building, buying groups should take into, use personality to kind of, you know, define the composition of the team as well. For example, I I know, and my own personal experience at SAP there was a project that they had been conceiving and putting great leaders on top of and great teams under for a period of almost four years. In in software world life, that's a, a lifetime, right? So they were looking at doing something like this, didn't have the right leader. They brought in the right, the person that was actually a dominant guy who was a doer, who was a driver. And suddenly what had been sitting around on whiteboards for four years in yeah. six months was a living solution with active members generating in one year from that point, 400 million euros in, in pipeline. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it's really those. So the, so the four, de- the, the, the composition is very important on the, on the buyer side of group and for sellers to understand that, you know, these are the dominant or, and, and by the way, here's another interesting thing. I think you pointed this out that the composition of that team changes as to where you are in the buyer's journey. Yes. The closer you get down towards the uh, the closure, the more likely to have the dominant people or the influencers more prominent. Yeah. Because they're the ones who are going to pull the plug. Whereas they may not be present at the start, the conscientious You're and right. the steady are yeah. at the point of the Sparks and the Scotties are out there looking for and doing the due diligence to bring the solutions in.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that we have seen from a content consumption standpoint is that those steady status quo seekers uh, that we've all run across inside our organizations consume content, but they consume it to say in their space. They use it for safety. So here we are with our thought leadership programs and our content marketing programs, and we're seeing people consume, but nothing's moving ahead. They're using your content to stay where they are. And so that's something we shared that with a client that they hadn't considered that people would be consuming their content not to do anything. (laughs) So
1: you know the profiles that we kind of present, they also provide what is the motivation, the behavior and the motivation of the people. So that's a good thing to apply because different people have different motivations. So the person that, and yes, you're right, a lot of your information, a lot of information in marketing campaigns, period, is being consumed by one person only. Yeah. And it's not transgressing, right? So the whole beauty of doing precision B2B marketing, right, and the ability to get first-hand, first-loop intent data back based on what i fed you and yeah. what did you actually eat and analyzing that back is that I can. we have to get to that hyper-personalization. Because even that person that's sitting there and not moving your content around, there's got to be some motivation that we can use. See, the, yeah. the thing, one of the things, Scott, what, what, what goes wrong, right? One of the things that goes wrong is that we're missing the fact that every person has a different angle of attack, right? Everybody kind of looks at things through a different lens. And if we can crack the code of how, and what that lens is for that one individual, the rate of success of how you get through to them and yeah. how you move them as you're saying, right. That, that becomes that much easier. Yeah. So right now we're looking at everybody with the same broad brushstroke, boom persona, right. right?
0: Talk a little bit about retargeting because that's also something that could be very wasteful if because of the way that we think that it's a matter of timing, and not interest and motivation.
1: Yeah. So again, uh, I think retargeting. Um, great question. It's a it's a challenging objective, but for us, we do a lot of retargeting based on exactly you know different sets of menus being offered. What are they picking up on? Yeah. Different sets of strategies for those sets of content consumption that's taking place. Secondly, as a result. Of that we are also because we have the ability to analyze what uh, people are consuming uh, from the marketing content very specifically analyze that we're able to start pulling out narratives that are specific to individuals and and again to your point right where are there? You know, there are different points that you know it has to be a holistic it cannot be a one um, one whole one point solution it yeah. has to be holistic and so you need to look at them. Where are they in their buying journey, right? Are they the right decisions? Are the ba- B2B sales is not easy. There's a lot of checkpoints, right? And those checkpoints have to be across now, multiple buyers and multiple companies. So the comp- complexity just grows. Yeah. However, I mean, if you were to break it down, you would have the best practice would be that you would check all those points right? yeah. and therefore come up with a narrative that's specific to that individual. Well, tools like ours can enable that, yeah. right? So we close that loop between what is the content that this person wants to consume and what is, what are they listening to? And how do we, we close that loop back and forth and that in turn drives engagement at a higher level.
0: Yeah. So if you had to give one tip, this would be the last question. um, And we'll leave audience with this, but if you had to give one tip for 2021, that's going to improve the performance that you're going to see out of your ABM program. And I'm calling it a program because oftentimes it's just thought of as the technology, but it's an entire program. What one tip would you give someone who is working in that environment to say, this is what you need to do to improve performance? Don't sell, educate. Right. So
1: your ABM, let's be clear. Right. ABM is not about every account. Yeah. ABM is your top account. That means that those people are spending top dollar with your company. That means that the individuals they have put in charge or the individuals they have put into the buyer's group are mature, educated, research oriented individuals that are trusted upon within their companies. You cannot go disingenuously in front of them and try to fit one shoe across all of those guys. Don't do that. Right. And secondly, in order to convince an audience like that, you cannot sell to them. They can see through that. You got to be able to educate them. You got to be able to engage them. And the only way you engage an audience like that is that you are educating them, right? Yeah. You're coming with some new content. So this is again, I have a you know thought like, what is not ABM, right? So so we have some of those thoughts also on this, which is that ABM is is not about kind of treating everybody, right, in the same way and saying, hey, you know, we've you can't do that, right? There, there are distinctions. Secondly, let's not use terminology, you know, a, a, as, a, as a ABM person, I know the universe of my clients. I know that before I be call myself ABM whatever. I don't need to conduct a six-month prioritization exercise to figure that out. What I need to know is in this universe, what is my engagement strategy, right? And start building that down. So don't sell, educate. Focus on that. And in order to educate, you know, it takes, you need to be a domain expert. So start working on that.
0: Well, thank you, Usman. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time and your insights. And uh, we look forward to continuing this conversation. I know this won't be the first or last time we're going to talk on this subject.
1: Yeah. Love it. Thanks a lot for that. And, you know, we enjoy working with you, Scott. You're doing some groundbreaking stuff. Um, and thanks for selecting our platform as as an opportunity to kind of bring us into next generation B2B thinking and thought leadership.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's it's groundbreaking and I think it's the next wave. It's I, I don't necessarily think that ABM is bad. I just think it's not enough. And I think that's where we're headed with the work that we're doing. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Take care, Scott.